Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18, beginning in verse 12. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 12. We are in the Passion Week. We are in the time where Jesus is moving quickly uh, to Calvary. In the next few sections, and we'll cover much larger sections during this narrative than we normally do, because it's, it's narrative, it's happenings, it's things that are taking place, and we'll draw those together. But now he has been betrayed, and he's about to undergo his trials. He's about to undergo examinations. I had Brother Ricky read the passage of Scripture this morning out of Matthew's Gospel that accounts for a part of the trial that John doesn't even mention. It's kind of an interesting thing. That the, the trial before the Jewish authorities had really two phases to it. John deals with the first, the synoptics deal with the second. But, but John, I guess because of having dealt with the Sanhedrin's view of, of Christ before, kind of passes over that section and moves straight from the first phase into the Roman phase of the trial. So it's a, it's a little bit of a disjointing there. But we have to remember John's purpose. John is writing with a very focused theological and historical purpose. Uh, he's not worried about all the details. He's not trying to pull every single detail together, but he's trying to show us one particular thing that he tells us toward the end of this book, as we've looked at and we'll see again. I'm writing this that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm writing this that your faith may be strengthened. I'm writing this so that you may know who he is. And so John focuses in on specific episodes and specific events never claiming to cover the entirety of the historical record, but the things that make most clear the, the points that he's wanting to make to us. And that's what he's doing today. When he takes the, trial before, the part of the tr Jewish trial before Annas rather than the trial before Caiaphas. And we'll see those un unfold a little bit as we move through that. But as he does this, hear what he writes beginning in verse 12. So the Roman cohort... And the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus, and they bound him. They, they took him into custody. And they led him to Annas first. For he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, the high priest didn't change every year. It wasn't like it was an elected office that every year changed. It was a very political office. And they were put there basically by the Romans in order to be the political leader, but to keep the people under control. And when John says that Caiaphas was the high priest that year, it's just a way of saying at that time, during this particular period, Caiaphas is the high priest. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient or better for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter, who was following Jesus, so and so was another disciple. And, and that disciple, that other disciple, was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and, and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing, warming himself. Now that's the first denial. 
We're going to kind of remove that today, and we're going to deal with it next Sunday with the other two denials that will follow beginning in, in, uh, in verse 25. So just think about that. Peter is denying him for the first time there at Annas' house, Annas' courtroom, if you will. Then the high priest, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Uh, John doesn't go into a lot of detail. He doesn't say, now, these are the points he wanted to know about his disciples, and this is the points he wanted to know about his teaching. He just said he was questioned according to his, his disciples and his teachings. No doubt wanting to know, are your disciples men who are going to rise up and try to overthrow the government? Are they insurrectionists? Are they, are they rebels who are going to try to destroy and stir up the people? Well, just What kind of men do you have with you? And as far as his teaching, are you denying the the truth of Moses' writings? Are you trying to turn the people away from the one and true and living God? This is what they were accusing him of. So Caiaphas, I mean, Annas questioned him related to those matters. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly in the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. In other words, Everything I told my disciples when we were out by ourselves, I'm telling you and, and the people in the temples and, and in the synagogue. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. Now, you, just a little aside here as, as Jesus makes that statement. You remember the passage Ricky read out of Matthew they are calling witnesses there. It was the law, it was the, the way that the trials were carried out in Jewish uh, hearings is that the, you didn't interrogate the accused, but rather you brought witnesses, you brought people who spoke against them. The accused basically was told to stand there and be silent and, and, and let the accusers, let the witnesses speak against him. They did that before Caiaphas, but here in this more informal setting, Annas decides he wants to directly approach Jesus. He wants to directly question Jesus. And so he asked him these questions. Jesus, why are, you, why are you doing this? The right way to do it is call the witnesses. The right way to do it is call those who have seen. And everyone's heard me that's been in the temple and in the synagogue. Call them in, and they can tell you what I've had to say. When he said this, one of the offers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that any way to answer the high priest? Hit him. The, the, the word used there is a word used for hitting him with an open palm in the palm of his hand and upside the head. Struck him. Is that the way to talk to the high priest? By the way, just by uh, reference, if you want to go back to Deuteronomy and do a little search on this, it, 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 was, it was a violation of the Jewish law to strike a prisoner when they were standing and being heard. So all sorts of violations going on here. And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong but if rightly why do you strike me in other words if i'm not telling the truth bring that forth i said i taught it in the temple i taught it in the synagogue i've been doing that if that's not the truth why in the why are you striking me why are you hitting me so annas obviously frustrated sent him bound to caiaphas his son-in-law the high priest and that ends the first phase of this Jewish trial. And there's really only two things I want you to see in this. There's not a lot 
uh, 15 points or anything to see about this trial. There's only two things I want you to see. I want you to see, first of all, the amazing hardness of unconverted man. And then secondly, I want you to see the amazing condescension of our Lord and compassion of our Lord, even in the midst of being accused of all these wrongs and being questioned about all these things for which there was no reason to question him. He was calm. He was compassionate. He was condescending. But first I want you to see the amazing hardness of the hearts of those who are unconverted, those who refuse to see. It starts out after they've arrested him, they take him into Annas' house, bound to Annas. He wants to question him first, John says in verse 13. They led him to Annas first. That is, they, there's a second part coming. He doesn't really deal with it, but I want you, he wants us to know that this is before going to Caiaphas, his son-in-law, because Caiaphas was the high priest that year. Now, John has already told us that Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, those who are the officials, those who are really in charge at this time, Annas, although he was not in place as the high priest, was still very well respected by the people. And he had five sons or son-in-laws who actually served as high priest after he did. And so there was, a, there was a certain appreciation for him among the people. They continue to refer to him as, Chi, uh, as Annas the high priest, even though he wasn't officially holding the position. And so they took him to him because he wanted to see this man one more time before led off to the other trials. And so he begins to talk to him. And he talks to ask him about disciples and ask him about his teachings. Now, we know that John has already told us back in chapter 11 about going before uh, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. As a matter of fact, he alludes to it when he reminds us in verse 14 that Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Now turn back with me to chapter 11 for just a minute, beginning in verse 47. Because this is where the, the council is meeting. Jesus is not before them at this point. But John tells about the meetings that they're having because of what is going on. And I want you to see the very first thing. Therefore, the chief priest and the Pharisees convened a council. And here's what they were saying. What are we doing? What are we doing? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, I want you to see here that these are the religious leaders. These are the chief priests. These are the Pharisees. These who are, are the ones who are to uphold the law of Moses under all circumstances, who have as their, as their main purpose in life is to see that the legal systems of the religion are carried out. And, and so they look at Jesus and say, listen, he's doing all these signs, he's doing all these miracles. If we don't do something, the people are going to all believe in him and the Romans are going to come in and take away what? Our faith? No. Take away what? Our ability to worship? No. Come in, take away what? Our temple? No, not in, a, not in the fullest sense of the term. What they're going to do is they're going to come in and they're going to take away our place, our position, our authority, and our nation. Their concern was political more than religious, even though they were religious leaders. Their concern was more that they were going to lose their authority, they were going to lose their power, than they were that the, that the truth was being spoken before them clearly. 
here's the hardness of them. Here's the hardness of unconverted men. What are we going to do? This man is performing many signs. They saw the miracles. They didn't try to refute the miracles. They didn't say he's doing these false signs. They didn't say he's deceiving the people by some kind of sleight of hand. You know, you go to a a magician's show and there's all kinds of sleight of hand. They they pull a rabbit out of the hat. There wasn't a rabbit in the hat just before they pulled it out of the hat. But we all know that somehow, somewhere, there was a rabbit in the hat that we just didn't see. And, And is that what Jesus is doing? Is he doing this sleight of hand, this man that's blind, he really wasn't blind, although they had seen him for 30-something years blind and begging, but, but somehow he, he tricked them with that. Did, did, he, did he turn water into wine when he really had just some wine he had bought out back and he did some kind of little switcheroo and all of a sudden it looked like he had turned water? No, they never said that. They never said the lame man didn't get up and walk. They never said that Lazarus didn't come forth out of the grave when Jesus stood at the tomb's door and said, Lazarus, come forth. They didn't deny any of that. But they were scared of that. They were fearful for their authority. They were fearful for their place. They were fearful for their nation. The Romans would come in and not give them any place or any help. He said, listen, we can't let this go on because if we do, we're going to lose what we value the most. We're going to lose our idols, basically. The things that we value more than anything else. The Romans will come and they will take it away. But one of them, Caiaphas, the high priest that year, who was high priest at that time, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that this is expedient for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation and that the whole nation not perish. Now John says, listen, he didn't even realize what he was saying. What Caiaphas was meaning, humanly speaking, was, listen, it's better we kill him and keep what we have than for him to keep going on and the people rise up and the Romans come in and crush us and a lot of people die. It's better we kill one than, we, than everybody or many others get killed. But, but John says what he doesn't realize is, even at one level, while he's speaking about his own authority, his own place, what he wants, at another level he's prophesying, he's speaking truth. It is expedient that the one true Lamb of God, the one true gift from God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, it's better that he die for the people rather than the people die an eternal and spiritual death that they could not, that they could not ever accomplish for themselves. They couldn't overcome in their own strength. Caiaphas, John says, didn't know he was, he didn't say this of his own initiative, but even as priest, even in his ignorance, even in his blindness and his hardness of heart, he prophesied. That Jesus was going to die for the nation at their hands as that sacrifice, as that substitute. So these men were hardened even though they saw that Jesus was really performing many great signs that could only have come from God. You know, we, we look around today and we think, you know, if we could just do some miracles... If we could just do something kind of and make people go, wow, 
then they would all believe. You know, if we could just show them some kind of something that, that would make them stand amazed at, at what we were able to do, then, then the, the, the people, all the world would obviously say, wow, he must be the Messiah. No, they won't. They didn't in his day. They didn't when the very God of creation, the Lord of all creation, stood before them and did these signs and miracles, seven of which John chose to talk about. But later he says, if I'd recorded all of them, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to record them all. That's how many he was doing. They saw them everywhere, all the time. And they refused to believe. Unconverted man's heart is going to be hardened to the things of the Lord. John has already dealt with clearly in John 6 and John 10. And listen, the Holy Spirit softens our heart to believe. The Holy Spirit moves in our eyes to see. The Holy Spirit moves in our life to be able to see that Christ is who he said he is. But but man left to his own devices, like Paul said in Romans chapter 3, quoting the Old Testament, no one seeks after God. No one desires him. No one of their own heart just says, oh, I want God. You know why that is? It's because man wants a God, but man wants to be that God. Man wants to be their own God. We want to control our own life. Why, if Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus really is who he said he was, these these Jewish authorities are going to have to bow to that, and they're going to have to say, God has come in the flesh. God, the Lord of all creation, is now right here among us. We're going to have to submit. We're going to have to bow to him. And they would not do that because they wanted to keep their place, and they wanted to keep their nation as is. I'll tell you something. When Jesus enters in, things change. Whether it's a nation or whether it's an individual or whether it's a church, when Jesus is acknowledged as Lord, things do not carry on as normal. And these men, these leaders, wanted things to remain as normal. The hardness of unconverted man's heart is amazing. They can see the truth. They can hear the truth. They can have it right before their eyes in vivid technicolor. And they refuse to see it because they want to rule their own life. A lot of people like that in our world today. We look at the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day and say, boy, they were just fools. Yeah. But there are a lot of people just like them in our world today who have all sorts of evidences from God's Word, the the clarity of God's uh, written Word before them, the the account of all that took place, and they see that and they want to pass it off because they want to rule their own life. They don't want someone telling them how to live. And, And it's like I tell a lot of people when they come to me and they say, you know, I'm just not sure I believe in God anymore. My first question is, what sin is captivating your life? What is it you want to be involved in that you know that if God is real and God is alive, you can't do that? And so far in 40 years of ministry, I'm batting a thousand. There's something that they want to rule over, just like these authorities, that they do not want to acknowledge. They will have to let go if they they bow before the Lord. There's some sin 
that has captivated them. And it's easier to say, well, I just don't know if I believe in God anymore than it is to confess and repent of their sin. The unconverted heart is a hard thing. It's amazingly hard. The second thing that I want you to see here is the amazing condescension of our Lord. I mean, the amazing condescension of our Lord. He is betrayed in the garden. He's betrayed by Judas. He's, he's captivated by these enemies, these ones who want to take him away. Roman cohort, Jewish authorities, the commander of the Jewish guard, they all come as though he's some kind of violent criminal that they're going to have to subdue. Peter draws his sword, we saw that last week, strikes it at the high priest's slave, servant, and he, he, he cuts off his right ear, Malchus. Jesus says to him, get him. No, he didn't say that. I wanted to wake you up. No, Jesus says, Peter, put away the sword. Put away the dagger. You think you're going to fight this Roman cohort? You think you're going to defeat this, this, this large number of soldiers, both from Rome and the Jews, with a dagger? Put it up. It's useless. The Synoptic Gospels tell us that he healed the ear of Malchus. I mean, right there. Right there in the, in the arrest scene, they see another miracle. See another sign. Touches the ear. It's made whole. And then they take him and they bound him. And they took him to Annas. And when they got there, he wants to question him about his disciples, about his teaching. He wants to ask him these things about what had been done out in the open. And Jesus just keeps his cool. He's mistreated. He's struck by one of the soldiers standing nearby, one of the officers standing nearby and saying, is that how you talk to the high priest? And in all of that, he keeps his cool. He, he shows with all this maltreatment, he shows self-control and dignity. It is kind of amazing to me here. I don't, I don't think he turned the other cheek at this point. I don't, I don't think he said, okay, hit me again. He said, why are you doing that? Why are you hitting me? I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't, I, call your witnesses and let's get this over with. He was moving toward what he knew was coming because he was moving toward what he was moving history toward. He said, if I've done wrong, if I've spoken wrongly, then just testify what's wrong. Either here before Annas, or, or whether out in the temple and the synagogues when I've taught, if I've, if I've spoken wrongly, if I've spoken error, bring the testimony before you and convict me of it. But if I've, spro but if I've spoken rightly, why are you hitting me? Evidently, Annas was somewhat frustrated because of his... He didn't get the answers he wanted. He didn't get the, the entertainment value that he wanted out of it. And so he sent him on to Caiaphas. He just said, basically, get him out of here. Now, there's no reason to think that they went to another building or another place in Jerusalem. It was probably there in the temple square, temple area. It was probably just another room, another courtroom, if you will, where 
Annas would hold court, and then Caiaphas would hold court. He probably just moved him to another area, and, but they sent him to Caiaphas. Whereas, as was read by Ricky earlier out of Matthew's gospel, they started bringing witnesses, testifying to this and testifying to that. I heard him say that if he, he's going to tear down the temple and he's going to rebuild it in three days. Well, they heard a statement similar to that. They really did. Jesus made it clear he's not talking about that temple. Wasn't talking about the temples built with hands and stones and mortar. He's talking about the temple of his body, his own temple, the new temple. <laughs> the temple that really mattered. The temple that's not made with hands and not made with brick. It was his body. You're going to tear it down. You're going to destroy it. You're going to kill it. And in three days, it'll be raised up again. And we're going to see, as John gives this account to us, that that's exactly what happened. What I want you to look at this morning, though, in this, in this brief encounter before Annas, is where's your heart? Is your, is your heart hardened to the things of the gospel? Is your heart like the unconverted there? Maybe your heart is unconverted. Maybe you need to cry out for the mercy of Christ this morning. Maybe you need to say, Holy Spirit, soften my heart, soften my un uh, understanding, and give me understanding. Open my eyes, Lord. I'm, I'm helpless without you. Maybe kind of like Peter. You know, we're going to see next week the, the <laughs> got the amazing hardness of the unconverted. You've got the amazing condescension of Christ. Next week we're going to see the amazing sinfulness even of believers sometimes. Maybe things have caused your heart to harden toward Christ. Maybe idols have pushed him aside and clipsed him in such a way that, that you don't see your need for him. And your life is running riot, doing whatever you want, not what he wants. And maybe the thing from that little informal trial before Annas that you need to hear this morning is, that you need to cry out to God, Lord, soften my heart, change my heart. Draw me back closer to you. By your Holy Spirit, give me new joy in my salvation, in your salvation, Lord. Give me new joy in my life that comes from you. You know, you can't look at this passion section of John's gospel, if you're a believer without, a, without a, an enormous sense of what he is giving and what he is giving voluntarily, what he is laying down, not being taken from him. He said last week, they bound him, they took him, but if he didn't want to be bound and taken, they could never have done it. So I guess the question that comes out of this encounter with Annas is this. Where's your heart? What's in your heart? How is your heart as you stand before the Lord Christ? Are you like these soldiers? Are you like these officers who just want nothing to do with him, even though they've seen the miracles, even though they've seen the signs? 
your heart. Let's pray. Fathers, we bow in your presence. We seek your face. Lord, as we bow before you, Lord God, keep us from being like the, the officers of the temple and like the Roman cohort and like the high priest and like even Annas and Caiaphas themselves. Who are really more worried about their place and their position, their authority, than they were about who this one was standing before them. Lord, I know that there are men and women, there are young people in this room this morning who don't know you. Lord, my heart cries out for your Holy Spirit to touch them. Lead them, Lord, to confess you. To acknowledge that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That you are the Messiah. That you are Savior and Lord. Lord, to surrender their lives. Because your Holy Spirit is softening their heart. Lord, work in their hearts today, I pray. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will point out to each of us our idols, those things that eclipse you like the moon will eclipse the sun, just get in the way. Lord, that we can, move, we can by your power and by your grace see those idols removed, set aside that your glory and your grace may come shining through brightly. Father, forgive us our sin and our sins. Cleanse us, O Lord, and use us for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.